0: Welcome to the Rebel Souls podcast, where we flip the middle finger to the status quo. I'm your host, Shelley Paxton, lifelong rebel, liberator of souls, and author of Soulbatical, a corporate rebel's guide to finding your best life. Settle in as we dive deep with badass leaders who are rebelling for what matters most in life, business, and the world at large. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get this revolution started. This is a soul fire production. Hello and welcome back, my fellow rebel souls. I just have to get, like cut to the chase on this one. This conversation with Cindy Gallup is fucking mind-blowing. I got so many gifts and insights from this conversation. And I'm hoping that's a barometer for you as well. Literally it's, it's ironic. Cindy says early in the conversation that she doesn't really identify as a rebel because that's someone else's term. And when she goes on to explain how she operates in the world and why she's so passionate about doing what she does she literally describes what it means to be the poster woman for my favorite line authenticity is the truest form of rebellion. That's who Cindy is. So, if you've never heard of Cindy Gallup before, you are in for a treat. I'm also going to say, I'm not going to warn you because we're, you know, we're hardy stock here. We're rebels, we don't blush. But this episode is also not for the faint of heart. And I don't think we have the faint of heart in this community. I would say because this is incredibly edgy and the phrase come on your face is uttered in the conversation, it is all the more reason to double down, just put aside anything, any other multitasking you were thinking about doing and sink into this conversation. So who's Cindy? For those of you not familiar with Cindy, you're welcome. She spent decades in advertising. We did not cross paths. I have never chatted with her before this conversation, but I've been dying to do so. So it's so exciting. She she, she ascended the ranks of advertising to become chairman and president of BBH, one of the big global ad agencies and left that about 15 years ago. And she's on the entrepreneurial path, lighting the world on fire in her own very specific way. Her personal motto is I blow shit up. I'm the Michael Bay of business. And if that doesn't pull you in, then you can probably just like turn it off and move to the next episode right now. We talk about disrupting and blowing up rape culture. So we talk about the social sex revolution that she's leading. We talk about disrupting sexism and gender discrimination in the corporate world. Same for racism in the corporate world and how we can get like really, really get to the heart of how we start to unwind uh, the old world order that's in place. We talk a lot uh, and we we kind of end the conversation with um, disrupting ageism and how she does that in her own life and in her business. So this is a definitely a buckle up for a wild fucking ride episode through blowing shit up and covering all of the meaty topics that you know a lot of people are afraid to talk about and we just dive right in you know i love to say cannonball into the deep end and that's exactly Cindy does it better than anyone else i know her business is called make love not porn we talk about it we also talk about how you can support it how we can all support it and she gives i mean literally mic drop after mic drop advice um i got some good dating advice business advice, life advice. Um, So I'm going to be blowing a lot of shit up and we're getting real on Rebel Souls this season, this next chapter. So yeah, badassery awaits you. Let's dive into the conversation with Cindy. Enjoy. Cindy, I've already told you how much I am absolutely dying to have this conversation with you. You are so much a fellow rebel soul and somebody who I look up to because you're making a ruckus in the world. And I love it. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me, Shelley.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I just so I have to say, like, you've kind of like I've learned more and more about your work through mutual friends that we know and through both being former ad people and then just kind of following falling in love with the fact that you describe yourself as the Michael Bay of business. And your quote, which hooked me in from the beginning, was I love to blow shit up. So I want like, I want this whole conversation to be about how you are inspiring all of us to disrupt and blow shit up because one of the many commonalities we have is you say like, I don't do status quo and this podcast is all about flipping the middle finger to status quo. So, Excellent. like, here we go, soul fam, strap in. We're gonna have a good conversation. So, I start with my signature question, Cindy. What are you rebelling for?
1: Um, you know, um, I would say, and and, and by the way, you know, what's interesting, Shelley, is that um, I don't think of myself as rebelling, um, because you know, people people regularly you know, use various terms to describe me, like, you know, rebel, provocateur, activist. And, you know, those are never terms I use to describe myself because all I'm doing is I am living my life and working my work according to my values. And, you know, I I actually think it's very interesting, Shelley, that, um, you know, people call things rebellion. People call people rebels who are simply doing what they believe in. And the very fact that term is used in that context is indicative of how much um, so many people are, are living with the status quo. You know, and, and by the way, often not even realizing um, how much happier they would be if they just broke out of that. So um, to, uh, as I said, I, I don't tend to use um, the, the you know, term rebelling to describe myself, but, but I would say that Um, you know, what I'm, what I'm rebelling to do, um, with my startup, make not porn is to end rape culture.
0: Ooh, I love it. Okay. Let's, first of all, I have to comment. I love what you said. I love your pushback. And one of the things that I wrote in my book is actually, I think rebel and rebellion get a really bad rap, right? Because they've always meant something and you're pushing against and you're doing something on someone else's term. And what I love about what you just said is I say authenticity is the truest form of rebellion, living our truth and our values in the world. And I just heard you say that in your words. So like, amen. (laughs) Thank you for saying that. Because it is it is true. And I want to get into that, like how that relates to business. But let's start with what you just said, because that feels like a truth bomb rebelling for ending rape culture. So what is what does that mean? And how did you get, like, I, assume, I imagine there's a really juicy story behind what's led you down the path to found this incredible organization called Make Love Not Porn. So can no, no, you this, fill this us in? It's incredible
1: business, by the way. Business, bit- sorry. Yeah,
0: yeah, oh, sorry. business. Fair enough. Yeah.
1: Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, so, so there's no particularly juicy story, um, Shelley, in the sense that Make Love Not Porn was a complete and total accident. And um, everything in my life and career has always happened by accident. I have never consciously, intentionally planned anything. I'm a big fan of serendipity. My old boss, um, John Hegarty at BBH, the ad agency I spent 16 years at, he has this mantra, do interesting things and interesting things will happen to you. And I totally believe in that myself. So um, basically, Make Love Not Porn came about through my direct personal experience dating younger men. And um, I should just explain for the benefit of our listeners that I am somebody who has never wanted to be be married. You know, I've never wanted children. I've always known that, as opposed to, thank God, by the way, as opposed to finding out the hard way by having them. Um, (laughs) And and having to give them away. (laughs) um, I, I adore being single. I love living on my own. I cannot wait to die alone. And I date younger men casually and recreationally for sex. And and I'm deliberately very public about all of that because we don't have enough role models in society for women and for men, by the way, that demonstrate you can live your life very differently for the way that people expect you to and still be very happy. And I'm one of the happiest people I know. So, So there I was 13, 14 years ago dating younger men, they tend to be in their 20s, and I began realising that I was experiencing what happens when two things converge. And I stress the dual convergence because most people think it's only one thing. I realised that I was encountering what happens when today's total freedom of access to hardcore porn online meets our society's equally total reluctance to talk openly and honestly about sex. It's Mm. when those two factors collide that porn becomes sex education by default in not a good way. And so I found myself encountering a number of sexual behavioral memes in bed. I went, whoa, I know where that behavior is coming from. I thought, gosh, if I'm experiencing this, other people must be as well. I didn't know that because 13, 14 years ago, nobody was talking about this. No one was writing about it. This was me in complete isolation as a naturally action-oriented person going, I want to do something about this. So 12 years ago, I put up on No Money, a tiny clunky website at makelovenotporn.com that in its original iteration was just copy. Um, the construct was porn world versus real world. Here's what happens in the porn world, here's what really happens in the real world. I launched at TED in 2009, I became the only TED speaker to say the words, come on my face on the TED stage. I'm linking session. to that
0: video, by the way, when I when I listened to you and saw the slides behind you, I was like, fuck
1: yes, I love this woman. So we'll link to that. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. So, so the talk went viral as a result, and it drove this extraordinary global response to my tiny website that I had never anticipated. Thousands of people wrote to me from every country in the world, young and old, men and female, straight and gay, pouring their hearts out. And I realized I'd uncovered a huge global social issue. And so I felt, oh, my God, I've got a personal responsibility now. I have to take Make Love Not Porn forwards in a way that will make it much more far reaching, helpful and effective. But I also saw an opportunity to do what I believe in very strongly, which is that the future of business is doing good and making money simultaneously. Mm-hmm. I saw the opportunity for a big business solution to this huge untapped need. And I use the word big advisedly, Shelley, because even then 12 years ago at concept stage, I knew if I wanted to counter the global impact of porn as default sex ed, I would have to come up with something that at least had the potential one day to be just as mass just as mainstream and just as all-pervasive in our society as porn currently is. So I was thinking very big right from the get-go. And so what I decided to do was I always emphasize make love not porn is not anti-porn because the issue isn't porn. The issue is that we don't talk about sex in the real world. You know, um, if we did amongst a whole host of benefits, people would then bring a real-world mindset when they view what is simply performative produced entertainment. And so our tagline of Make Love Not Porn is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. Mm -hmm. And our mission is one thing only, which is to help make it easier for everybody in the world to talk openly and honestly about sex. And so given that mission, what I decided to do was to take every dynamic in social media and apply them to this one area of universal human experience no social network or platform will allow in order to socialize sex and to make real world sex and talking about it socially acceptable and -hmm. therefore ultimately just as socially shareable. Is anything else we share on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram? So nine years ago, my tiny team and I launched the first stage of this vision, because I have a whole roadmap for the future, but I need funding to achieve it. So the first stage is makelovenotporn.tv, which is an entirely user-generated crowd-sourced video-sharing platform that celebrates real-world sex. With so real-world people. Okay. So, anyone in the world can submit to us videos of themselves having real-world sex, but we're very clear what we mean by this. We are not porn. We are not amateur. We are building a whole new category on the internet that has never existed before, social sex. Our competition isn't porn. It's Facebook and YouTube, or rather it would be if they allowed you to socially, sexually self-express. So social sex videos on Make Love Not Porn are not about performing for the camera. They are just about doing what we already do, Shelley, on every other social platform in every other area of life, which is capture what goes on in the real world as it happens spontaneously in all its funny, messy Wonderful, awkward, comical, hilarious, fabulous humanness. And we curate to make sure of that. I designed Make Love Not Porn around human curation, very important. Our curators watch every single video submitted from beginning to end to make sure it's real. And we have a revenue sharing business model. Our members pay to subscribe, rent, and stream social sex videos. Half the income goes to our contributors, who we call our Make Love Not Porn stars.
0: Oh, it's so powerful. And the, the, you know, sort of connective thread between what you said about how you live your life. I love this. Like you are a role model for a different kind of life and you are showing through make love, not porn, the social sex platform that the way I, what I like might be different than what you like might be
1: different than what another person likes. And that's all Okay. No, no, absolutely. And, and the thing is, Shelley, so, you know, Make Love Not Porn is a unique platform, has a unique capability. We have the power to change people's sexual attitudes and behavior for the better. I'll give you a couple of examples of what I mean. Um, social sex videos on Make Love Not Porn are enormously reassuring because we celebrate real world everything. Real world bodies, to your point. Real world hair real world penis size, Mm -hmm. real world breast size. And the reason that's so crucial, Shelley, is because you can talk body positivity all you like, you can preach self-love, but at the end of the day, nothing makes people feel great about their own bodies like seeing people who are nobody's idea of aspirational body types getting turned on by each other. Hell of Desiring move, each yeah. other, having a bloody amazing time in bed. Our mantra is everybody is beautiful when they're having real-world sex, and they really are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in a popular culture where we are bombarded every day by messages telling us that we are not sexually desirable unless we're this skinny, we've got six-pack abs, we look like this, You know, our members tell us that watching our Make Love Not Porn videos makes them feel better about themselves. You know, one man wrote and said, my girlfriend and I now feel able to be more open and central with each other because your videos made each of us feel better about our own bodies and freed us up to be more confident in bed. You know, I mean, that's tremendously powerful. Then, um, very importantly, we celebrate real world emotion. Love intimacy feelings those radiate through the screen because here's the unique thing about make love not porn Shelley again all around us in popular culture we see many creative expressions and narratives of relationships but we never see the actual sex on make love not porn you see the actual sex but you also see the relationships because those two things are indivisible in our videos and when i say that Shelley i don't just mean that you see healthy, wonderful relationship dynamics in our partnered couple videos, our threesome videos. I mean that you also see the wonderful relationships our solo Make Love Not Porn stars have with themselves. In our masturbation videos, you see the healthy relationships people have with their own bodies, their own sexuality, their own genitals. And so, you know, this is why I say that Make Love Not Porn's mission ultimately is to end rape culture because we are doing that by doing something incredibly simple that nevertheless nobody else is doing. We are ending rape culture by showing you how wonderful great consensual communicative sex is in the real world, by role modeling in our videos, good sexual values and good sexual behavior, and by making all of that aspirational versus what you see in porn and other areas of popular culture.
0: It's so powerful. My top three values, since everything you do is grounded in your values, I feel compelled to share are freedom, authenticity, and courage. And everything you're doing and everything Make Love Not Porn stands for is so aligned. And as a single woman in the world, I'm divorced, no children, about to step back into the dating world. I want to thank you. I want to thank you. And I wish that I would have met you and known about this 20 years ago, which was obviously before it existed, or at least 12 years ago when I got divorced and I hadn't dated since I was 27 years old. I re-entered the dating world as a 40 year old and suddenly everything was online and Tinder pictures with people squeezing their cheeks and finding the perfect angle. And I was like, fuck, how does anybody
1: do this? Yeah, no, No. and, and the answer is, don't do that. Be yourself, and, because, you know, I, I want to go back to, you know, my personal tagline um, that um, you talked about at the start of the show, Shelley. Yeah. Because, so how that came about was, um, you know, many years ago, I was in a meeting with a potential consultancy client, um, and, and just for our audience's information, until I raise the kind of funding I need to make love not porn, I have to support myself alongside it, and I do that by, you know, paid speaking and consultancy and personal coaching, with so incredible was,
0: brands. By the way, I was like looking at your list of brands, like we're talking the biggest badasses brands in the world, like the Nikes of the world. Like, uh, yeah, I want to dig into that too. So keep going.
1: So, um, so so I was talking to these potential clients, and I was explaining my consultancy approach, and I said to them, so I consult very selectively only for brands and clients who want to change the game in their particular sector. You come to me for radical, innovative, groundbreaking, transformative. To your point, I do not do status quo. And then off the cuff in the meeting, I summed it up, I went, you know, lighthearted me. I like to blow shit up. I'm the Michael Bay of business. And everybody laughed. And I left the meeting. I thought, actually, that's a really good summation of what I do. But but the thing is, Shelley, the reason I use that tagline everywhere is not a bit of fun or a bit of creative or a bit of whimsy. I use that tagline entirely deliberately because I'm a great believer in be your own filter. When I characterize what I do in that way, it attracts to me the clients who want what I do. It repels the ones who don't. And I sure as hell want to repel the ones who don't because they're a waste of time, effort and money
0: moments in your life where the universe delivers exactly what you need to hear in the moment you need to hear it. I needed to hear that right now, be your own filter because even maybe not necessarily in this show on this podcast, but there are times I've been tempted as I'm building my own business, as I'm leading this, this movement to live life more authentically, courageously, and purposefully where I have found myself being tempted to water down the bold orange flip the middle finger in service of like, oh God, well, will the Fortune 100 never call me again and all the things. Thank you for that reminder. Be your own fucking
1: filter because that's my beauty. And by the way, Shelley, I brought that up because, you know, do that when it comes to dating. Do not do whatever else on Tinder is doing be yourself in your photos, put yourself out there because you will attract the people who respond to that. And those are the people you want to connect with. Those are my people
0: a hundred percent. Well, who knew that I was going to get amazing life and dating advice. (laughs) So thank you. Another like, yep. Okay. That's why she's here. So I want to talk, can we take this into the The business world. I mean, you are in the business world. Make love not porn is a business. Thank you yep. for correcting my language at the start of the show. I appreciate that. And one of the things that just I, I've been sitting with is it's so cool how you are disrupting on so many levels. Right, You're disrupting how we think about sex with this social sex, sex platform. You're disrupting sexism and gender discrimination in the corporate world. I want to dive into that. You're disrupting racism. In particular, in corporate culture, you're disrupting ageism and it's really powerful. I just love this. How I blow shit up has like just been a through line to everything that you're doing. And given that we both come from the corporate world and we both seem really passionate about changing its course and changing the future of business, can we dive into disrupting or blowing up the sexism and gender discrimination that is so rampant in the corporate world today. You wrote and or co-authored, and I think I mentioned this as we were trading notes back and forth, this incredible article, interestingly enough, sent to me by one of my clients who was like uh, this landed. This is what I needed today. And it's called Seven Pieces of Bad Career Advice Women Should Ignore. And I was like, Yes, thank you. Can we dive into some of these pieces? Because I'm like, How, Why did it take until 2021 for someone to write this article? And thank you for writing the article. I mean, one of the things that really, really struck me on I guess the, the, you know, the topic of a, a, a term that's thrown around a lot is you, you talk about mentorship and it's like, really? Or is that just a bullshit term that we need to throw out the window and let's start thinking in terms of finding champions for our work. Can you talk a little bit more about that? That landed sure. for me.
1: Um, so I've been saying this for literally decades, Shelley. Um, uh, you know, I've been telling women for years Strike the word mentor from your vocabulary and replace it with champion because women are constantly urged to find mentors. And inherent within that term is a sense of touchy feely, chat, 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 shoulder to cry on. And what I say to women is that we don't need mentors, we need champions because we need what men get all the time, which is other men prepared to go out on a limb for it. We need champions because champions make shit happen for you. Men make shit happen for other men all the time. And and I'm emphasizing men because unfortunately, in the corporate world, to make shit happen for you, you are going to have to find male champions. Female champions are wonderful, by the way, but there are far fewer of them because, fact of life, there are far fewer women in in the corporate ranks, especially the further up to the the top. And so, you know, a champion is somebody who, behind closed boardroom doors will slam their fists on the table and go, if there's only room for one pay raise in my budget, Jane's getting it, not John. That's the kind of person you need in your corner making shit happen for you. So don't look for mentors, look for champions. Ooh. I love that. All right, now my
0: second favorite. And this is something I talk about in my book and work a lot. This totally bullshit myth of work life balance. And I have air quotes, cause it like, it almost makes me gag when I say it. And I love that you hit it on its head and it's, you were like, no, actually, let's acknowledge that that's bullshit. And let's, t- let's talk about
1: the type of culture you should find. Um, yeah, because, because when you find the right workplace culture, when you work for a company that genuinely cares about the well being and mental health and quality of life of its employees, the whole concept of work life balance just disappears because you are balanced, because the company designed that into the culture. Look for those companies. And by the way, they will tend to be founded and run by women. Hmm. No
0: surprise. I mean, we saw how women led through COVID.
1: Um, yeah, um, yeah but, and, and actually um, I want to um, make a point about that, Shelley, yeah. because there is um that there is um, a, a you know well-intentioned but um big myth around why female leaders led better than male leaders through COVID. Um and, and, and I said this in, because I was interviewed about this um you know quite a bit last year in the pandemic. Um The reason female leaders of state, of government, led more effectively than men to COVID has nothing to do with the conclusion people jump to, which is, oh, women are more empathetic. Women are more caring. Absolutely not. The reason those leaders, those female leaders, led so brilliantly was because in order to get to the top of government, to the top of the state, You have to be so goddamn fucking brilliant to have gotten over all of the obstacles that male leaders never have to contend with. Those women made it to the top through sexism, sexual harassment, racism in some cases, you know, and by the time you get through all of that bullshit, When you are a woman who managed to make it through versus the many, many women who are managed out of politics because of all of that, you are fucking amazing at your job. That's why female leaders led better through COVID. And, you know, as you will know, but for our audience's benefit, that's one of the points that my friend Tomás Tamaropramuzic and I make in our article, because Tomás wrote the single most read Harvard Business Review article of all time. He wrote it eight years ago, and it is called, Why Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders? And Tomas's premise in this article is, we focus, quite rightly, on the enormous number of barriers that brilliant women face in their attempt to get to the top, but a far bigger problem is the lack of obstacles for incompetent men. And this article was so popular Ooh. that to us, turn it turned into a book, which we published a few years ago. The book also is called, Why Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders and How to Fix That? And I blurb the book. And you will see when you buy the book, which I urge everyone listening to do. We'll put, a link. we'll put a link to the book. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And, and I call it the single most important business leadership book of our times, because it is. I am adding that
0: book to my reading list. I'm absolutely putting a link to it for the Rebel Rebel Souls community. It's really, really powerful. And I love how both of you mess with our thinking because you're right. Like these become, they just sort of like tropes that people throw out there. And it's like, wait, are we even looking at the right thing? Are we having the right conversation and asking the right questions?
1: Um, No, exactly. And and so because Tomás and I make a very good team. And so I would also urge our audience to read um, beyond beyond the article we're talking about in the Hub Business Review, read um, our article in the Hub Business Review last year, which is called Seven Leadership Lessons Men Can Learn from Women.
0: Yes, I have that one here too. We will link to both of them right. as well. What highlight for highlight for me and us? What's your favorite part of that? What is the number one leadership lesson men can learn from women?
1: Um, you know, um, I think um, to be frank, it's it's the point that that, that we actually talk about in both articles, um, because you know. Women are told all the time that to become leaders, they have to be more like men. And, and obviously the whole point of the article is we are telling men that to that to be great leaders, they've got to become more like women. And so um, the, the thing that I um, really encourage women to flip their lens on is, you know, we'd be a lot better off if we stop telling women to do more of such and such and told men to do a lot less of it so you know um, to use just one example which, which 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 we cite you know women are told all the time you've got to change your language you know stop stop saying sorry so often don't use the word just you know oh, as as in could you just you know? and you know our point my point is the world will be a far better place If we stopped telling women to say sorry less and told men to say sorry a whole lot more.
0: Amen. we
1: We would be in a far happier place if many more men said sorry a damn sight more often.
0: Oh, let that sink in. That deserves a big fuck yeah. Absolutely. We're sharing those articles. And I, I read both of them like they are dog eared and highlighted. And I'm like, yes, yes, Excellent. yes, yes, yes. And just thinking about my own work in the world. And um, I'm super passionate about all of that. And I want to pull the thread through a little bit more to racism in corporate culture. You mentioned it and I, I listened to an interview that you did. It might've been the 3% conference talk that you did. And I wrote down a quote that gave me chills from head to toe. And your quote was, you can't do new world order business from an old world order place. Like I have chills again. You can't do new world order business from an old world order place. And you're right. That is exactly what so much of the world and so many businesses are trying to do today. We need the change of systems and processes and structures and all the things. So I want to dive in a little bit on some of your recommendations on like, how do we start to get at those fundamental things to really start you know,
1: rebelling for ending racism in corporate culture as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, and and, um, and to be frank, Shelley, um, everybody can play their part in this because, you know, um, I believe that change happens from the bottom up, not the top down. And what I mean by that is every one of us taking micro actions, and I'm a big fan of micro actions. Um, they are what underpin my first startup if we ran the world, microactions are very small, simple, easy to do actions, which are so easy to do, when do you do them? Every one of us, every day, taking micro actions to change what we want to see change cumulatively adds up at scale to enormous impact. And so, you know, um, everybody has the opportunity every day in whatever environment they work and live in. You know, um, for example, if you are white, you know, your black of color co-workers are subjected to microaggressions every single day. Um, Take micro interventions. Absolutely step in and challenge any, you know, racist conversation, terminology, you know, um, episode that you see happening because you have the opportunity to get people to rethink things they are doing that are so kind of wired into how we operate. Everybody has a responsibility to micro intervene.
0: And one of the greatest examples, I shouldn't say one of the greatest, one of the examples that landed with me, you gave a brilliant example on even how we write job descriptions To be so exclusive instead of inclusive, to be based on proven track records versus potential that someone is really never, you know, someone of color has, especially a woman of color, has possibly never even been given the foundation and conditions of success to do.
1: So you talked about brilliantly. Can you talk a little bit about, like, what does that mean? So to make our audience aware of, of, of you know, the are referencing, um, that was in response to a call that I get all the time along the lines of, you know, someone will call me. And in, in, in this specific case, it was um, a white man um, who is the global chief market officer for a very, very large company with with a very large number of brands. And I'm not going to name any names. Um, And he called me up and he went, um, Cindy, I've got this fantastic, you know, global CMO position, one of our brands. I want to hire a black woman. Who do you know? And so this is the point where I have to go. It doesn't work like that. And and, you know, I lay out a number of things um, because what I do as a consultant um, is, um, again, just for our audience's benefit, I am not the um, unconscious bias trainer. You know, I am not the d coach. I am a hard-headed business strategist. And so what I do is I help companies re-engineer their systems and processes to integrate diversity and inclusion into the way they operate on a daily basis, that therefore makes it a key driver of future growth and profitability. Very simply put, I help you make diversity and inclusion make you more money, because that's how you embrace it. Um, so, you know, to, um, in this particular case, one of the things that I told this client they needed to re engineer was how they wrote their job description. And you know, I said to this gentleman, um, you have written your job description for this position to appeal to white men. And evidence of how much it does that is that you post this job description on LinkedIn, and underneath it is a very long thread of comments full of white men recommending themselves to this position or recommending other white men. And so I basically went through the job description, and, and I broke out how it needed to be rewritten. And again, there were some things that were specific to the nature of the business and the role. So I won't talk about those, but I'll give, um, you know, the example you referenced, which is, you know, in this job description, he had written of this candidate. um, You will have a creative track record that makes us all jealous. And I went, no, they won't. Because a black woman will never have been promoted into a position where she could make that happen. And so you if you seriously want black female candidates, you do not put that in your job spec. You remove it, and instead you write, this is the role where you can finally unleash all of that creativity that you have been waiting to make happen. You basically write for potential not proof, because they will not have the proof, because they were never given the opportunity to deliver that proof. Boom. That's a powerful
0: lesson for all of us. Right. And, and something that I'm guessing, I know when I heard you say that, and I'm guessing our fellow rebel souls who are listening to this right now are like, I hadn't even thought about it through that lens. Like that's a wake up. Mm. That's a wake up. Mm. And I love how you take that even further because you talk about, I mean, love that everything you do is grounded in values, right? Your values and shared values. And you talk about shared values to shared action to shared profit. And that's exactly what you just, you just explained how that formula works. It it is literally that simple and yet it
1: feels so hard for some reason. Yep. No, and, and, and it isn't, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of radical simplicity. Hmm. I believe in making and keeping things very, very simple. So, you know, one of the things that I believe in keeping very simple is business models. And, and, you know, this is part of my consulting and speaking as well, um, because not enough people realize the freedom you have to completely reinvent your business model. You know, I've served too many people thinking one of two things. Either this is our business model, this is the way our company makes money, our industry makes money, this is the only way to ever make money, or they think there are a set number of business models out there and we have to operate one of those. Neither is true. Your business model can be anything you design it to be, and a very good starting point is to simply ask yourself the question, how would I like to make money? Because it's a safe bet you'd probably like to make it not the way you're currently making it. And so, um, you know, what you're referencing for our audience's benefit is I absolutely designed my own business model. I believe the business model of the future is shared values plus shared action equals shared profit, financial profit and social profit. And what I mean by that is when brands and businesses come together with their audiences, and by audiences, I mean consumers, employees, you know, industry analysts, whatever, you know, shareholders, when you come together with your audiences on the basis of values that you all share, which by the way, is the most important requirement for good relationship in life as much as business, you will never truly bond with someone if you don't share the same values. When you come together around shared values, and when you are then enabled to collectively and collaboratively co-act on those values to walk the talk together you can then make things happen in the real world that will benefit consumers benefit society and benefit the brand and its business you know and that is the business model i designed make love not porn around with our revenue sharing you know model and so um honestly um it's really really simple to design your own business model and feel free to adopt mine I
0: love that. And it goes back to what you said earlier. The future of business is doing good plus making money. You just described how. You gave us the roadmap to do exactly that. And again, Mm. thank you, universe. Perfect timing because I'm literally looking at my business that I'm creating and going, yeah, What? how do I want to make money? It is that simple. And am Hmm. I doing some things that are just feeling sort of like a drain. I, I literally, I'll be super candid and yeah. I know everybody in the community is going to appreciate this because I've started to say this more often. I don't want to be a coach. I don't want to be a coach. And while I was writing the book and doing other things, I let myself fall into that because it was easy. I really do love impacting and transforming people's lives, but I want to do it on a massive scale. And that's what I'm setting up now. And so this is really timely. It's just like, it's lighting me up even thinking about like, have I really sat down and gotten even more brutally honest with myself about what that business model looks like? Beautiful and doing good, right? Doing good on so many levels and making money because I don't want to do simply one (laughs) or the other. And to your point, it doesn't have to be, that's a false choice, right? That's so, it's so powerful. All right. Dating advice and business advice i feel like cindy what else you got for me like what haven't what what haven't i scratched that you're like bursting to share with this rebel souls community anything else just on your heart or soul or mind right now that you want to share oh, no t- no you need you know you need to ask the questions i'm you know you're here to answer them. Um, yeah. Well, you know, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not short on, I'm definitely not short on questions. I think there's one last area then that I want to touch on um, before I, you know, want you to share like how <laughs> our fellow rebels can find you, follow you, support your work in your businesses. The last question is around disrupting ageism. And so I am a, a dear friend of mine is Chip Conley. I don't know if you're oh, yeah, connected yeah, yeah. No, with Chip. No, no,
1: he's a friend of mine as well. Yes. Yeah. 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 I
0: figure I thought we might have Chip in common. So Chip is a, uh, Dear friend, when he and David Stewart from a- of Aegis. Oh, David as well. Yeah, yeah. when they when they were doing their their happy hours together, I did one of those with them. And I've been down to Modern Elder Academy. I'm becoming guest faculty starting next March at MEA. And so I am in this world as a 51-year-old woman going, I feel younger and more alive than I ever have in my life. And I, I suspect that resonates with you. And so I want to just I want I want your perspective on how are you disrupting ageism in your life, in your business,
1: in, you know, putting your truths out into the world? Sure. Well, first of all, I tell everybody how old I am at every possible opportunity. I'm 61. I shout it from the rooftops. And I created the hashtag Say your Age. Because um, my philosophy in this context is is the complete opposite of how many people think they're counting ages, and when they go, "Oh, age is just a number," it's not. Your age is a very special number because your age is the sum total of you. Your age is the sum total of all of your lived experience, life lessons, everything that you've done to date, and so. Your age is the numerical representation of your value, you know, and and that is why it's a very special number, and you should say it all the time.
0: I love it. I say it too. I'm like, I'm not hiding behind the fact that I'm fifty-one. I'm like, I'm fifty-one and fabulous. I love my fifties,
1: and I'm gonna love my sixties too. Yeah, and then you know, I absolutely challenge anybody who, because you know, ageism is so entrenched that the episode I'm about to describe just happens all the time. So, um, I was, um, at a speaking engagement, I was introduced to the CEO of the company, um, who was, um, an older man. And, um, and, 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 actually I've been booked to, to speak on a panel about this very topic, you know, to, um, about, um, basically disrupting aging. And, and so it's a panel of older women, uh, like myself. And so when, um, uh, when he was introduced to me, while he was shaking my hand, I said, hi, it's great to meet you. I'm Cindy Gallup. I'm 61. And he went, oh, 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 you don't look it. And, and 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 he thought he was being flattering. I went, no, no, I do. This is what 61 looks like. You know, because that, when people say, express surprise, they say, oh, you look a lot younger, that is ageism. Mm. You know, um, this is what 61 looks like. And then um, more recently, um, a few weeks ago, um, I'm a big fan of an online um, uh, toiletries company called Function of Beauty. They, they make great customized shampoos, conditioners, body washers, body lotions. I, I buy their stuff all the time. And so I got one of their marketing emails, which said they were launching a skincare line. And I went great because I love them already. So you know, um, you know, you know to, um, I love the quality of the products. I went, I will totally buy whatever they're doing. That was until I clicked on it and I saw that they were calling the skin serum anti-aging. Oh. And I basically posted that across all my social channels. And I said, I do not buy any product that uses the term anti-aging. You know, Function of Beauty, please will you reconsider how you present this product, call it something like pro-aging, but I'm not buying it while it's called anti-aging. And you know, I will give Function of Beauty full credit for the fact that they responded to me on LinkedIn and on Twitter and they said, you're absolutely right you know, we're so sorry. We didn't think this through. We so appreciate you calling it out. We're going to change that language. I mean, they responded absolutely the way a brand should, but, uh, but, you know, everything I'm talking about, by the way, again, these are micro actions. Every Mm -hmm. one of us every day can take these micro actions to disrupt ageism. And there are choices,
0: right? You had a choice, support them in making that decision or speak out because dollars speak. Right. Mm-hmm. I love that you said that, you posted that, all, all of it. So yeah, and just and owning there's it, it getting get aging, I shouldn't say getting older, but progressing in age, like there's nothing to be ashamed of embrace it let's show what 51 and 61 and all the jiggly bits and whatever who
1: gives a shit we're human right no and, and you know one of the things that i'm very focused on um Shelley, is that i'm all about reinventing aspirational culture mm. i'm reinventing aspirational culture around sex with make love not porn and i urge my industry advertising to reinvent aspirational culture around aging because we don't aspire to be young. Young people aspire to be us. Young people aspire to be us because at this age, we don't give a shit. We know exactly who we are. We know what matters in life. We have our own personal sense of style, our own personal sense of interior decor. We're free to travel. You know, um, don't, don't continually make the mistake of thinking that youth is aspirational, age is aspirational. Boom!
0: That is the note we're ending on because that is incredible. I live it, this whole idea of reinventing aspirational, oh my God, reinventing aspirational culture. I think Chip Conley's episode of Rebel Souls was actually called Rebelling for Aspirational Aging. I feel like this has come full circle and you're talking about aspirational culture overall. Beautiful. So how can other rebel souls find you after they go to
1: all the links and read all the yummy things? How can they follow you? Sure. So so first of all, I'd like to say to our audience, please, if you like what I've said, support my startup. Please go to makelovenotporn.tv, sign up, take out a subscription. You know, our subscriptions start at $10 a month, eminently affordable. Um, and because of my challenge is raising funding, I always say this if anybody knows any open minded investors, tell them to email cindy at makelovenotporn.com. And then please follow Make Love Not Porn on Instagram. Um, it's at Make Love Not Porn. I'm at Cindy Gallup on Instagram. Same thing on Twitter at Make Love Not Porn, at Cindy Gallup. Our Facebook page is MLNPTV. I'm cindy.gallop on Facebook. And you can also find me and follow me on LinkedIn.
0: I love it. Cindy, you're incredible. I like to say that we, you know, I I don't follow role models. I follow soul models, like people who are truly living from their soul, from their knowing, from their values. And you're that person. You're a soul model for me. So thank you. Whether you embrace Rebel or not, I'm all over it. And thank you. You've given me so many good nuggets for me and this community today. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Shelley. Thanks for having me yeah, on the show. Of course. Thank you. Hey, Rebel. Thanks for listening. If you were inspired by what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review so our fellow Rebel souls can find us. We have big work to do together. And if you want to dive deeper, head on over to my website at solbatical.com and follow me at solbatical on Instagram. Until next time, stay bold, brave and badass, and never stop asking, what am I rebelling for?